All right. Um, so today, as I mentioned, we are we're starting off Missions Month, and uh, for us, uh, if you are a Christian, missions is really foundational to us in what it means to be believers. As Jesus told us to go and make disciples of all nations, um, it is something that is foundational to what it means to be a Christian, that we have experienced the good news of the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, and that he was raised on the third day for our life, and that we are called to go and to tell this to all those around us. And we're going to be focusing on that this month, and missions can be um, far across the oceans, in some distant place that maybe you've never heard of, or it could be here in our backyard as well, to our neighbors and our coworkers, um, whether you call it missions or evangelism, outreach. The main point is we want to bring the gospel message of Jesus where it isn't. We want to bring the kingdom of God into hearts all around us and on the other side of the world. Anyone who doesn't know Christ we want to tell them about the message of the gospel, the good news. So we want to focus on that this month. Really, really excited about that. Today's passage is going to be from 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 24 through 25, and then we're going to skip to chapter 7. Now, I know I've been bringing you all in a whirlwind the past few days. We went from the stability of eight weeks through the book of Colossians, eight weeks, eight weeks through four chapters, to jumping to John 3.16, and then to Revelation chapter 13 and the mark of the beast last week, to now going back into the Old Testament to 2 Kings and to looking at a story about Elisha. And we're kind of going all over the place here. But this passage is such a beautiful picture of the gospel and also, I think, a powerful reminder of what it means to be concerned about evangelism and missions and sharing the gospel with others. So um, we're going to be looking here, and we'll go through a little bit at a time, and let's look at verse 24 first here. It says, Afterward, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it, until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver, and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. Now, let me just give you a little bit of background about what's going on here, because I know I just plopped you all right back into the middle of the Old Testament here. This is um, after the kingdom of Israel had a civil war, so to speak, and broke up into two parts. The northern kingdom was called, anyone? Oh, no, 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 that, that's the southern kingdom. So yes, that's right, Israel, that's right. The northern kingdom was called Israel, and the southern kingdom was called Judah. They, they broke apart after the time of Solomon. Today's story focuses on what was happening in the northern kingdom of Israel. The capital of that northern kingdom of Israel was called Samaria. Now, Elisha was there ministering, speaking the word of God to the people of Israel up in Samaria. Now, they had an enemy at this time, and that enemy was Syria. And Ben-Hadad, who was the king of Syria, mustered his entire army, went to attack Israel, and it says he besieged Samaria. What that means is they surrounded it. 
They surrounded it. Um, you, you know, if you've been following the news about Russia and Ukraine, what's been going on, Russia's tactic has oftentimes been to try to surround a city so that it cuts it off from supplies, forcing it to eventually capitulate, right? Same thing was happening thousands of years ago. The Syrian army is here besieging Samaria, trying to starve it into capitulation, into surrendering. And now it was working. It was working. How do we know that? Because it says here, a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver. Now, a donkey's head was, first of all, a donkey is an unclean animal that Israelites were not supposed to eat. Secondly, the head was the least desirable part of the donkey that hardly had any meat. It was basically mostly skull. You know, if you've seen donkeys, right? It's got, it looks like it's got a really big skull. Not much meat there, maybe a little bit under the cheeks or something like that. But this sold for 80 shekels of silver, which was a tremendous amount of money. It was a massive amount of money. 80 shekels of silver for a donkey's head. And it says here, a fourth part of a cab of dove's dung. Basically, you know, they're not totally sure what dove's dung was. Hopefully, it wasn't actually the dung of doves. It could have been. It might have also been um, roasted chickpeas, that which would be much more savory, I think. But it, was, um, it wasn't much, right? It wasn't meat. At, at best, it was a bunch of chickpeas, and it was a cup, a cup of roasted chickpeas, and that sold for five shekels of silver. Now, this was a massive amount of money for very little food. This shows that the siege of Samaria was having extremely powerful effect. It was working because these are ridiculous prices for things. We know that it was working also because if you read the rest of chapter 6, you find that the Israelites were engaging in cannibalism. Okay? They began to eat each other because things were getting so bad and they were starving. So that, that gives you some idea of what these prices must have been like for a donkey's head and for a cup of chickpeas. It was desperate, dire times. Now, this is the situation. Now, here in chapter 7, Elisha comes into the scene. And Elisha, the prophet of God, says to the king of Israel, he says to him, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Now, this is an amazing thing because a seah was a measurement back then that meant seven quarts or about seven liters. So he says, about this time tomorrow... In about 24 hours, you will be able to buy seven quarts of fine flour for one shekel of silver, okay? So what today, you need 80 shekels of silver to buy a donkey head. Tomorrow at this time, one shekel of silver will get you seven liters of fine flour. So what you would pay for a donkey's head today will get you 560 liters, 560 quarts of fine flour, or 1,120 quarts, if I'm doing my math right, of barley, okay? 
a massive amount of food. Prices that would put Costco out of business, right? That cheap. Basically, something unthinkable. In 24 hours, food is going to be dirt cheap here. That's what Elisha said. Now, let's look at the response to this. It says, then the captain on whose hand the king leaned, this is probably the captain of the king's guard. Um, maybe the king was old by this point and actually literally leaned on him. It's kind of like the king's right-hand man, bodyguard type thing. So he was here right next to the king. And he said to the man of God, to Elisha, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? What he's saying, in other words, is that, man, are you kidding me? Even God couldn't do that. Are you kidding me? Donkey's head is 80 shekels of silver. Tomorrow, one shekel of silver is going to buy me seven quarts of flour? Absolutely not. That's cheaper than non-starvation, non-famine times. No way. It would be like me this morning saying to all of you, hey, I know inflation has been hitting you all really hard. I know times are getting difficult economically, but let me tell you this. By tomorrow, about this same time, gasoline is going to be 10 cents a gallon. And you would break out into uproarious laughter, like a few of you did for a moment there. You would laugh. You would like, <laughs> didn't you major in finance, Ulysses? You fool. Even if OPEC opened up all their reserves, we're not going to 10 cents a gallon. That's, that's unthinkable. It's impossible. That's what the, the captain of the guard was basically saying. And can we, can we kind of blame him for that? It was absolutely unthinkable that that thing could happen. But here's the difference. Here's the difference between Elisha saying that and me saying oil is going to 10 cents a gallon tomorrow. The difference is Elisha was a man of God. Okay, that sounded really bad. I didn't mean for it to come out that way. Elisha was the prophet of God. He was the recognized prophet of God in the Old Testament. He spoke in behalf of God. He represented God, so it was God saying this. For all intents and purposes, God was saying, by tomorrow, you're going to be able to buy seven quarts of flour for one shekel of silver. And the captain of the guard was saying, no, 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 God can't do that. That's the difference. That's the difference. So what did Elisha respond? He said, you shall see it with your own eyes but you shall not eat of it. He said to this person that this is something that is going to happen, and you're going to see it, but you're not going to get to eat any of it. We will see later in the story why that is the case. Basically, this captain of the guard was saying, this is too good to be true. You may say, well, Ulysses, how, what does this have to do with the gospel? As it says in the Old Testament, as Jesus himself said, all of the Old Testament was written about him. This is a picture of the gospel about how God can change everything in an instant. How the Israelites could go from starvation to being in a place of plenty 
how that was something that only God can do, and God can do it in an instant. He was going to do it overnight in the nation of Israel. But if anybody today comes and puts their faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross, that he has died on the cross for your sins, and then on the third day he was raised from the dead so that we would be able to live like him and be like him, if anybody comes and puts their faith in Jesus, everything can be changed in a moment. No, it doesn't mean that suddenly you're going to be wealthy and and God's going to give you all this money. It doesn't mean that suddenly your bum knee is going to be okay and your back is not going to ache anymore. This is not a prosperity, health, and wealth gospel, but it does mean many things will change in an instant. You will go from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God in an instant. You will go from being dead in your sin to being alive in Christ in an instant, the moment you put your faith in Jesus. You go from being an orphan and fatherless to becoming adopted as children of God. You go from being condemned in your sin and condemned to spending eternity apart from God in punishment and suffering to being forgiven of your sin and spending eternity in the new heavens and a new earth. You go from being a slave to sin with no power to overcome sin to suddenly being a slave to righteousness with the Holy Spirit living within you and the power to live differently and for God. You go from a state of hopelessness to having an indestructible hope in the gospel. You go from a place where you have no choice but to be anxious because this world is so out of control to knowing that God is completely in control of this world and now he loves you and is in control of all things. You go from being a fisherman, just grinding it out day after day, trying to make a living, trying to get by in this world, to becoming fishers of men, to having purpose in Christ that is yours as a child of God. All of that takes place in a moment when you put your faith in Jesus. That is what the cross does. That is something that we cannot do, just like the captain of the guard The army of Israel could not change their situation. The Syrian army was too powerful. There was absolutely no way they could overcome that enemy. There is no way that we can change our situation in and of ourselves. The enemy of our sin is too great. But God can change it in an instant. Because he gave his son to die upon the cross for our sins. So that if anybody puts their faith in Jesus, everything changes in a moment. Friends, if you are not a Christian, if you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I want you to know that that's what faith in Jesus does. Again, it may not make you wealthy, it may not heal you of all your diseases, but you go from being separated from God to being a friend and a child of God. The things that really matter change in the deepest way. That's what the gospel does. Just like the captain of the guard, he would see this deliverance of God with his own eyes, but he would not get to eat of it. One day, when Jesus returns, the Bible says everybody will be resurrected. Everybody who lived throughout all of history will be resurrected and we will stand before God. But only those who have trusted in Jesus 
will be those who will be able to eat of it, who will be able to taste of God's salvation and enter into eternal life with God. This is something that God offers to us, but it must be through faith, not through any of our own works, not through our own efforts. This is the gospel message. Now, going on from there, it says, now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. Now, this now here is a really powerful loaded now because it's a now that says now you're going to see God's salvation. Now you're going to see what God is going to do. Now God is getting the ball rolling and putting things in motion for this great deliverance to happen. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city. The famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank. And they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there, nothing but the horses tied and the donkeys tied and the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out, and it was told within the king's household. And the king rose in the night and said to his servants, I will tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open country, thinking, when they come out of the city, we shall take them alive and get into the city. And one of his servants said, let some men take five of the remaining horses, seeing that those who are left here will fare like the whole multitude of Israel who have already perished. Let us send and see. So they took two horsemen, and the king sent them after the army of the Syrians, saying, Go and see. So they went after them as far as the Jordan, and behold, all the way was littered with garments and equipment that the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So... 
a seah of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now, the king had appointed the captain of, on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate, and the people trampled him in the gate so that he died, as the man of God had said when the king came down to him. For when the man of God had said to the king, two seahs of barley shall be sold for a shekel, and a seah of fine fine flour for a shekel, about this time tomorrow in the gate of Samaria, the captain had answered the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he had said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. Everything came full circle. Let me go back here again to the beginning of verse 3. Now, there were four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. My question here is, why did God do this through these lepers? What happened? The lepers were there, and they were sitting by the gate, and apparently they were outside of the gate because lepers were despised in that day. Nobody wanted lepers near them. They were afraid of contracting leprosy from them. So it seems like these lepers were sitting outside of the gate of Samaria. And if they knocked and said, hey, let us in, let us in, they may not let them in because they're lepers. And these were people who were in a terrible situation, who were ostracized from their families and cut off from society. And they sat outside the gate. Nobody wanted them in there. The Syrians apparently didn't kill them either because maybe they looked at them and they said, don't bother. I don't want to go near them. Just leave them be. These are guys stuck here in no man's land, sitting outside the gate of Samaria, just waiting to die. And they basically said, what are we doing here? We, if we sit here, option A, we die. If we go in the city, option B, there's no food there either. We're going to die too. If we go to the Syrians, option three, we probably will die. They're going to kill us. But if they don't, and there's some type of Geneva Convention or something like that, then they're going to take us as prisoners of war, and that means they're going to feed us. We know they got food, and then we're going to survive. That sounds like our only chance here. So they said, let's just, let's just, hey, man, let's just go. Let's just see what happens. And if we die, we die. But if they don't kill us, then we live. So they go there. They, you know the story. They found the tents empty, everybody gone. They see food on the stove being overcooked. They see biscuits and bread everywhere. They see massive amounts of food. Remember, this is an army, the entire army of Syria. I don't know how many people, maybe 100,000 men there, and, and, and all the supplies that they needed to sustain them. There was a massive amount of food there, and they started eating. They saw money. They saw gold, silver, clothing. They started to take that booty and go hide at places and making multiple trips. They went and they ate all the food that they could want. Now, the question is, why did God do it this way? Why did God begin to work through these four lepers? Why didn't God make the king go? 
Why was the captain of the guard so doubtful? Why didn't he go? Why didn't the army of Israel go out there and see what was happening? Why didn't the ordinary citizens of Israel end up going out there? Why, of all people on earth, was it these four lepers? Is it just coincidence? Is it just happenstance? I don't think so. The reason is, I believe, that it was these four lepers that went out there was because they were the most broken, despised, and because of that, humble people in Samaria at that time. They had nothing going for them. They were as humble as you can get because they had nothing to brag in. They had nothing to boast about. They had nothing going for them. And this is what we see in the Bible again and again and again, that God reveals himself not to the proud, but to the humble. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Proverbs 18 says, For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. Jesus himself, speaking to the Pharisees in Luke 5, said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In other words, if you think you are healthy and well, Pharisees. If you think you have no need of forgiveness, you're not going to be interested in what I have to offer because what I have to offer is for the sick. It's for those who are broken and realize that they have a disease called sin. Those are the ones who will come to me. It is the humble who will come to God. Look, even when the lepers when they announced this to the gatekeepers and the gatekeepers told the king, what did the king say? The king said, it's a trick. <laughs> it's a trick. I know what's going to happen. If we all go out there to eat this food, the Syrian army, they're waiting there like, like gorillas in the mist, right? And as soon as we go out there, we lay our hand on that food, they're going to come out and say, no, 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 no. And then they're going to come and capture us and kill us and run inside the city. That's what they're going to do. Think about this. They should have been the ones. The lepers didn't even know about what Elisha said. The king, you would think about this. Don't you think the king should be thinking, 24 hours? Okay, let's watch to see what God does. What did the lepers say? There's nobody in the tent? That's got to be it. That's got to be God working. I mean, they said, Elijah said in 24 hours it's going to happen. That's got to be it. Let's watch. Watch men on the walls. Watch for any sign of anything because God is going to do something to deliver us. He said, nah, it's a trick. No way. He wouldn't receive it. It wasn't the powerful. It wasn't the proud. It wasn't the people in positions of authority. It wasn't those people. It was the lepers. Brothers and sisters, the gospel message 
is for those who look inside and realize that my sin has caused such a level of brokenness within me that there is no way to save myself. Salvation is only going to come from the outside. It's going to have to be a work of God. If God doesn't do it, there's no way it's going to be done. Our problem is, in society, is we don't think we're all that bad. That's our problem. We don't think that we're all that bad. We think that we are good people. Regardless of the fact that in the 20th century alone, we've killed hundreds of millions of people in our wars, in our genocides, from the day of Cain killing Abel throughout all of human history to now we are still murdering and slaughtering one another. Nothing has changed. We are still killing each other. This is the state of our society. There are mass shootings breaking out all around us. There is, there is drug overdoses. There is, there is uh, all sorts of things in the society. And lest we look at that and think, well, that's out there. That's not me. I'm not so bad. The Bible says that God is love. And if love is the standard, if we're honest with ourselves and we look in our own hearts, we fall far short of that as well. Rather than loving others, we are so selfish and we use others instead for our gain. We are so proud and we see others as competition that we want to be lower than us so that we can feel better about ourselves. We are so filled with anger at others. We hate our brothers. We hate our sisters. We hate people around us. There is so much within our own heart in which we fall so far short of the standard of God's love. When we begin to realize that and we see what is truly going on in our heart, only at that point will we come to God and recognize, man, I need something to change within me. I need forgiveness. And it is something that I cannot accomplish myself. It must be the work of God. This is why God revealed himself to the lepers. It is only the humble who can come to the gospel. Friends, if you want to put your faith in Jesus, it's not because you're so great that Jesus loves you. The only way to come to Jesus is recognizing that you are a sinner, that you need forgiveness, and that the only way is that the God of the universe, God the Son himself, had to die upon the cross for your sins because our brokenness runs so deep. This is what was going on in the lepers. This is what God is showing us through them. They realized that their situation was so bad that there had to be some other way from the outside to deliver them. Now, lastly, I want to get into my last point here, and, and I'm going to connect this with Missions Month here as well. As they were eating, it says, this was their response. We are not doing right. Or maybe their mouth was filled with food. They're like, we are not doing right. right? They're like eating drumsticks and bread and cake and everything like that. They're like, this is not right. This day is a day of good news. Good news should ring a bell 
Sounds like the gospel, doesn't it? If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come. Let us go and tell the king's household. I want to conclude with this. Again, connecting this with missions month. Here is a, is a picture of the gospel, isn't it? People going to tell others about a means of salvation, right? This is pointing forward to the gospel in the cross. We are to do what the lepers did. Anybody here who is a Christian, we are lepers. We are people who could not be forgiven of our own sin. We have found bread, the bread of life, and we are telling others about that. Now, there are two motivations here for the lepers going and tell other, telling others. The first is this, that this is really good news, what's happening here. This is fantastic news, and we should tell other people. We should tell the city about this. The second motivation is, they said, if we don't, and we sit on this, and we keep stuffing our faces while people are starving, God is not going to be happy with us. He's going to punish us, and we're going to be in big trouble. So let's go, and let's tell them what's going on. Let's invite some other people to this buffet here. Now, both of these motivations are true and important in a sense. But thinking about us and our church, thinking about renewal, and I'm talking to our specific family here, I think that for many of us, the second motivation is far more prevalent in our lives. And that is this sense of, you know, I know that whole thing about the gospel. Go and make disciples of all nations. I've been hearing it for a long time. I know I'm supposed to evangelize and tell other people about the gospel and how great it is. And it feels like this obligation that is upon us, right? You know what I'm talking about? Hey, our church is very churched. I know a lot of you have been going to church a long time and you've heard this message before. And what happens? Because same thing happens for me. It feels like this burden, this sense of like obligation where it's like, I know I should share the gospel. I haven't shared the gospel with anybody for like a whole year and stuff like that. And you end up feeling bad about that. You feel guilty about that. And I know God's not happy if I'm not sharing the gospel. And yes, the Great Commission is true, right? We're supposed to be doing that. We're supposed to be telling people about the gospel. That's totally, totally true. That is something that we're supposed to do. But brothers and sisters, that, that can't be it. If that is it, if that is your only motivation, this sense of guilt or obligation, it's not going to work. It hasn't worked for me. Honestly speaking, it has not worked for me. But the first part here, and this is really what I want to hone in on. When this leper said, this is not right because this is a day of good news. This is such good news. We have to go and tell the people in the city about this. Because what is happening right now is amazing and fantastic. We have to let them go. We have to go tell them. Imagine, can you put yourself in the place of these lepers as they're sitting there and eating? Think about how much food is there for a moment. 
Let's say the army is 100,000 men that were there surrounding the city of Samaria. They came from far away back in those days, horseback, on mule, with their wagons, carrying stuff. They needed to bring enough food to sustain 100,000 fighting men. Sure, there are supply lines and they, they need food to keep coming down from Syria, but they brought a ton of food with them to sustain them for a long period of time. Because remember, they are besieging Samaria. Besieging means we're not going to fight you. We're going to surround you and we're going to outlast you. Think about this for a moment. Think about what you need to do to do that. The king of Samaria is not dumb. He sees the army coming from far away. His scouts tell him, we're in big trouble. A massive army is coming. So what are you going to do as the king of Samaria? You're going to hoard food, right? Bring all the food into the city. Fill up the reservoirs. Bring everything in here. Bring as much food as you possibly can. Prepare us. We are, they're going to besiege us. And we have to survive months and months, if not years. Some of the sieges go on for years. If you read in the Bible, sieges can go on for a long... If you look in history, sieges can last for years because the city can have so much food stored up in it. Think about how much food the Syrian army must have brought with them. They brought their cooks. Those cooks, before they left, they were doing the supply thing like, I need two million eggs. <laughs> I need three million pounds of, of butter. I need 50 vats of honey, that type of thing. Load it on the wagons, bring it down there. There was food. The four lepers could not eat all the food there for a hundred lifetimes. They couldn't eat it all. It would spoil and rot in front of their eyes. And when they were sitting there and they were eating, they, they, they must have felt like this is ridiculous. There is enough food here to feed everybody in our city times and times over. Everybody who is starving right now, and we have it all right here, and, it's, and it's, we don't have to do anything for it. They could just come and eat, and their salvation is right here. And they went and they told them that this is such good news. I have so much more food than I could possibly eat Come and eat this food and live. Brothers and sisters, that is the gospel. That is what must be within our hearts. A desire that says, you know what I have found is so good and is so plentiful. It is enough for the entire world. Is it, enough? it is enough for everybody and we will never ever run out. Come and eat and experience the forgiveness and the love of God through coming to the cross of Jesus Christ. There is enough for everybody. This is such good news. I want you to know this. We have friends who have a bunch of apricot trees in their backyard and they told us that this recent harvest, they had 3,000 apricots that they harvested by hand. And every, my son went over to play with their kid and came, they came back with a box full of apricots. They gave us another box like a week or two later. They're just probably just giving apricots to everybody. They're probably throwing them at passing cars because they have so many apricots. They don't know what to do and they're delicious. And they're just handing them out. It's like, please eat, eat. We can't eat this ourselves. It's so good and there's too much. That's the gospel. That's what the lepers felt. 
The question is, do we feel that about the gospel? Oh my gosh, this is so good. This is what everybody in this world is looking for and longing for. And we have it and we can offer it free of charge because Jesus paid for it on the cross. Is that what comes out of your heart? Is that what exudes out of you, brothers and sisters? Friends, I, I, I hope that out of Renewal Church, we will have many missionaries go out to the far-flung places of the earth to share the gospel, to plant churches, to do all of that kind of stuff. But I'll tell you, if we do it more out of the guilt and obligation and because Jesus said, I need to go and share the gospel, I'll tell you, that's, that's not going to last. It's not going to be sustainable. We will be sending out people who will burn out, who will fall into moral failure, who will say, I don't want to do this anymore. But if we send out people who say, man, what I've experienced, I want the world to know. There are people in parts of this world where there is nobody there telling them about Jesus. And I want them to know this good news. Does it flow out of us, brothers and sisters? The past several weeks, I have heard time and time again about how good Top Gun Maverick is again and again and again. People keep telling me Top Gun is so good. I'm like, really? Okay. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go watch it. I'm going to go watch it. Hopefully it's still in the theaters. We are so excited to share the news about a great movie. We're so excited to tell people about a good restaurant that we found. It just kind of comes out of us. But are we excited to share the good news of what Jesus has done for us? Does it come out? Does it exude from our hearts? Or we want to say to people, there is good news for you. You know when in my life, it was near the beginning of my relationship with Jesus that I was this excited, honestly, to tell people about Jesus. When I was telling my family members about it, when I was declaring it in front of strangers, when I was doing presentations on the gospel, when I did a presentation in my metaphysics class in high school about the message of Jesus, and I did an altar call, and I said, I want all of you to know God and to be with me for all eternity in my high school class. And my teacher was sitting there like kind of weirded out about it and stuff. And, and I was doing stuff like that because I was so excited because when I came to know Jesus in those days, when I received him, when I was praying on my knees, crying, the thing I kept saying over and over again is, Jesus, why would you die for me? Why would you die for me? Over and over again. Because I saw, I was a leper at that moment. There was no way to save myself, but the God of the universe would die for me so that I could be forgiven and have life. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it, and I wanted to tell everybody about it. That's the heart that I need to recapture. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of sustainable evangelism and missions that flows out of someplace deep. 
Let me conclude with this, and I'll invite the worship team up at this time. I want to tell this story that an author wrote about these gold miners, these prospectors that were in Bannock, Montana, and they were searching for gold. And it says that they went through many hardships, and several of their little company died en route. Defeated, discouraged, and downhearted, the prospectors headed back to the city. As they tethered out the limping ponies on a creekside, one of the men casually picked up a little stone from the creek bed. He called to his buddy for a hammer, and upon cracking the rock, he said, it looks as though there may be gold here. The two of them panned gold the rest of the afternoon and managed to realize $12 worth, which was a good amount of money back then. The two of them panned gold the rest of the afternoon and managed to realize $12 worth. The entire little company panned gold the next day and in the same creek realized $50, a great sum in those days. They said to one another, we've struck it rich, but they needed more equipment and supplies to finish mining the gold. So they saddled up and headed back to Bannock and they vowed not to breathe a word of this to anybody concerning the gold strike. So they secretly went back, trying to re-equip themselves with supplies for another prospecting trip. When they got ready to go back, as they were heading out, they were surprised to find 300 men following them. Who told them? Nobody. The author of the book says that their beaming faces betrayed the secret. People just, they just saw it on their faces. <laughs> that discouragement became joy, and they just could not hide it. Brothers and sisters, the Bible says that Jesus, he carried his cross. He was led outside the city to Calvary, where he died upon the cross. As the lepers went outside, to the camp of the Syrians. Jesus went outside of the city to Calvary. That's where the salvation is. The question is, who will follow you there? Is it really good news to you? Is it really overflowing from your heart in a way where people see it written on your face, they see it in your life, that, man, there's something so good that I've tasted. And I want you to taste it too. As we begin Missions Month, my challenge, brothers and sisters, is simply this. Could we look inwardly? I could just say to you, hey, let's go. Let's go to the unreached peoples. Let's go to the unreached nations. Let's start this initiative. Let's do this mission trip. Let's do all these things. What I want to start with is I want to start inside. Is the gospel something that is really good news to you? Would you join me? I want to encourage you. Could we come back to the gospel this day? And could we come and say, Lord, man, if, if, if it is something, if your heart has become dry, if the gospel has become old news to you, say, God, make it good news again. Bring me back to that place. Remind me of how good it is and what you have saved me from and what you have done in my life so that it would be something that flows from within me. Can we stand together?
Lord, as we sing this song, Amazing Grace, as we worship you, Lord, we simply ask, God, that you would bring us back to the cross and that you would remind us of how good forgiveness is and what you have done for us and how much you have changed our lives so that we would have the joy of the Lord flowing through us so that we would not be able to wait, we would not be able to help but tell others about what we have found, that there is food here, that there is salvation that we have tasted,